Hello everyone, and welcome to Poetry Says, episode 100. My name's Louise, and today I'm joined by a very special guest. Some of you may know her as the host of the previous 99 episodes of this podcast, while others may know her through her poetry, which has been published in Rabbit, Southerly, Australian Book Review, and Westerly. She's also been shortlisted for the Blake Poetry Prize, and her first collection is forthcoming with Rabbit Publishing. Alice, welcome to the show. Hi. <laughs> How was that? <laughs> this is so weird. This is weird. Um, yeah, hello. Hi. I put I put on my um, radio voice for that. I liked it. Yeah, I, I practiced in my bedroom. It's very good. It's a good radio voice. Actually, I, I've forgotten the, the name of your first collection. Uh, would you like to talk about that? Uh, yes, I would like to talk about it, but the title remains somewhat open to debate. Okay. I had a title, which I thought I was happy with, and then I met with uh, the amazing and wonderful Jess Wilkinson of Rabbit, and she said, eh, your title. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Um, You're so right. And then I went back and had a look at the at various aspects of it, including what it was actually called. Mm. So, yeah, I have I have a working title and I think we just have to yeah. reach a, you know, a moment of tick yeah. and then that's what it will be called. But, yeah, I, I hate titles. Yeah, right. Of, oh, I love titles. Yeah. Well, you're good at them. Well, I'm, well that's <laughs> the only thing. I'm, I'm really great at the title but not actually writing the, the rest of the book. Disagree. we're now fighting (laughs) no that's a lie though sometimes i'll have a poem where the title is easy but other times i just no idea Mm. yeah but sometimes when you get that that great title it can totally fool you into thinking that the poem's gonna be just it's Mm. just gonna happen for you Mm. and sometimes yeah yeah, sometimes a title can like psych you out totally and you can't match the title yeah, I have the title uh, patron, patron Saint of Lost Dogs. Yeah. That poem's not getting written, but <laughs> like the title. It's um, a good title. But yeah, what, I don't know what it is. I have many, many of those. Yeah. Uh, so what's that been like, putting together a collection for the first time? Well, it was weird this week because it's a year since I got to go on this absolutely beautiful and life-changing residency out in the Blue Mountains. Um there is was that at Varuna no it was not at Varuna uh everyone says that I'm like no (laughs) (laughs) I have a fly for Varuna but no these these people it's it's just a couple that have a property backing onto um a national park Mm. and they were very easy to approach and apply to they basically just wanted to know that I had a plan of how I was going to spend my time and they were like yeah cool come along Mm. Um, you buy your own food and you just pay a little bit for the the space and the thing about it is they have magnetic walls and when you're trying to put a collection together and you have all these poems printed out Mm. Being able to stick everything up on a wall and leave it there all day and go to sleep next to it and wake up next to it, wow. you start to see a story oh, emerging. Wow. So, yeah, I put all that together and submitted it to Jess this time last year. Mm. And um, I'm really glad that it's been a while kind of in the unfolding because 
I've had a few opportunities to revisit it and go, really want to yank that one out and move these around. And Jess has had some incredible suggestions about how to move things. And she's also pulled out these themes that I couldn't even see. Yep, yep. Um, Such as? There's all these birds. And I didn't didn't even know that there were all these birds in the in the book um and there's this thing that jill jones said um on twitter one time which was why are we so mad at poets i'm paraphrasing but she was basically like why are we so mad at poets for having so many for having birds in their poems Mm. um i think we're thinking of like wild geese and i don't know like standard issue bird poems like leader and swan maybe Mm. um but what she said was like there are birds everywhere all the time. Mm. They're part of your daily life. Why would we, in our attempt to be cool and smart, mm. take the birds out? Yeah. And I didn't realize there were so many that had crept in. But it's not that surprising because at that residency where I wrote a few of the poems and sort of finished it off, there's just birds everywhere. Yeah, so, yeah. I had the same thing. I've got a lot of birds in mine as well, and I never considered myself to be a particularly natural poet. Yeah. Well, I we're am. we're metro we're metro poets, yeah. right? Like, yeah. um, but they're still there. You know, you still got even in in Melbourne, suburban Melbourne, you still got mm. all kinds of wildlife and things happening. So yeah, they were all there, and just saw that. Um, and saw better ways to to begin it and saw one of the poems as being needing to be about five times as long right and oh, that's exciting it was really exciting and then managing to do that and having the permission to do that was so 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 great and so that's now the centerpiece of the whole thing yeah and isn't that such an interesting word permission like yeah sometimes all you need is someone to say Please do more of that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I really do need yeah. ticks of approval, gold stars and pats on the head yeah. as an artist. It's a shame that I don't have a sense of permission inbuilt. Yeah. I've never had that. I've always been a very good, you know, um, A-grade student and, mm. like, that's been my where my self-worth has come from and then as I've moved into more like creative pursuits I've kind of tried to find that I was obsessed when I started writing with getting a mentor right it's so weird now I think about it looking back it's it's quite tunnel vision in 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 one way yeah it's like why I I just I wanted a I wanted my year six teacher back basically (laughs) and then finally ended up Jess again um introduced me to Bonnie Cassidy, mm. who became the person that I put in that position. But, I mean, luckily for me, she was never going to buy into the total weirdness of, of my approach to that. <laughs> like the pedestal that I put her on, she was kind of like, what, what? I'm not standing on anything. <laughs> um, yeah, but I just wanted, I guess you want to be witnessed to. Yeah. As an artist, you want to be seen. Well, I mean, that's entirely why I'm doing the doctorate. Uh, that was my reasoning. Mm. So to kind of formalise that mm. desire, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's really helped. So. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's good to have a structure around what you're doing. Because otherwise, I mean, especially with poetry, right? It's like you could just be, like, you could be terrible. 
<laughs> You're not terrible. <laughs> but it's I think possible. I actually have a theory that if you ever consider the possibility that you're terrible it means automatically that you're not terrible fair it's like it's like parents who question whether they're good enough parents and yeah. i'm like straight up right there you're asking that question <laughs> it's good that you're asking the question yeah yeah, yeah for sure it's the people that never ask that question <laughs> yeah, the ones you gotta watch <laughs> oh god so i've got a very broad question for you yeah inspired by john safran's style of interviewing people which cool. is um what were the events in your life that basically led you here? Mm. Um, could you just walk us through the, the poetry journey? Yep. <laughs> yep, I can. So one of them happened here in beautiful Sydney. Nice. We came on our, a family trip. We used to go on trips with uh, another family called the Shanahans. We were up in Sydney with the Shanahans and we were walking along a beach and I was... <laughs> like basically narrating what we were doing (laughs) like as if it was being written down I was trying to come up with some highfalutin way to describe what was happening right and and Ruth uh, Mrs Shanahan turned to me and said Alice you must be a writer wow so being told that so the universe just spoke to you at that moment well I mean (laughs) Ruth definitely did and I think I was told a lot when I was younger that I was going to be a writer. Right. And by that, who? Well, by teachers and by um, probably my dad. Yeah. I, I think it was just like an accepted thing that like I was a, a word nerd. Right. And I bought into that completely to the point that I actually never, I didn't start writing because I felt like it was just going to happen. Yeah. So I got to 25. Really? Um, oh, maybe it was more like 23 at uni. Yeah. And I hadn't written anything. And I sat down in my Islamic studies class and this girl sat down next to me and she said, so what's your name? Mm. And she turned out to be one of the most like prolific writers that I'd ever met as, mm. as a person. She was just always, always, always writing. Mm. And meeting her, I was like, oh, you actually have to do the writing. You actually, it's not, no one's going to come and give me an award for the thing that I wrote in my phone at the party that time. Yeah. Like you have to sit down and actually write this stuff. So I got really competitive with her. Right. But what were you studying? What was your degree? Uh, Japanese. Really? Yeah. So you weren't even studying like literature? Nope. No. Nope. Studied Japanese, classical Chinese and uh, Asian religion. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I was deeply into like the role of religion. Yeah. And yeah, wrote a thesis on the representation of Islam in the Japanese mainstream press. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Because wow. <laughs> why not? So I wasn't writing, I wasn't thinking about poetry as sure as hell wasn't reading poetry. Right. And I started writing like classic style started writing and submitting well before I started reading so you're telling me you never wrote teen angst oh no totally I wrote teen angst to to my best friend who I was deeply in love with (laughs) for like a lot of rhymed yeah rhymed (laughs) angst to her um I think I probably still have a bit of it 
And yeah, so I guess it was happening, but it wasn't happening in a serious way. How, how just uh, out of interest did she uh, respond to that? She, none of it found its way to her oh. because I was busy torturing her in other ways, making <laughs> mixtapes and... I'm so sorry. Oh, no, <laughs> it's, it's, the it's the Sweet. worst. I was the worst. But yeah, so so yeah, so at uni met this girl who was a very prolific writer and got very competitive and right. actually started writing and submitting and had this early run of acceptances with some very small journals and felt like yeah. it was going to just be all up and to the right. But who told you about journals? Um, I think because I was a member of the ACT Writers' Centre. I see. And right. I had uh, their weekly email to yep. to refer to and gradually realised that there were these things out there that I needed to get into. I was obsessed with getting into Blast, which, yeah. which stopped existing about a year after I started writing. Yeah. And that's been a bit of a theme for me, like Best Australian, Best Australian. doesn't exist anymore. I, I'm so frustrated on your behalf about that one. <laughs> nah, look, yeah. never would happen. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so started to submit and felt like it was all going to be this linear progression yeah um the meteoric rise of success yep yeah yep straight to the top and i'm so so glad it wasn't Mm. because i had to eventually figure out my own way to be like happy as a writer Mm. which took a really long time and i spent so many years just being so jealous so just like obsessively jealous yeah everything you're saying is resonating with me yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. and especially around age like i can't believe that they've been published and they're 23 that's ridiculous it's all about numbers at that point in your life yeah and like how many books how many prizes which prizes and by which stage and like almost like drawing like making a crazy wall with some red string around that kind of stuff um and it just took probably leaving Australia in 2016 to finally go no one cares yeah you're the only person who cares about this and well that's the wonderful thing about travel it yeah. makes Australia so small you realize it could disappear into the ocean <laughs> it would maybe be trending for about an hour <laughs> hashtag Australia sinks <laughs> I never thought that's a shame so anyway oh man it's free. So, so true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and starting to make this podcast, I think, as well, feeling the permission to do that, being outside of the scene, quote unquote, and realizing that there were other ways to contribute and be connected to mm. what was happening in poetry. And then by by doing this, mm. I've start, I started reading and I started, yep. I had to read because I yeah. was talking to poets about the poets that they loved and talking about their own work and mm. feel like I've kind of done my creative writing masters by proxy mm. I um, think you most certainly have yeah and um thank god because that's the only way that your poetry gets better is by reading and it's one of those things that they always say to you but it's so so true and it's mm. so simple mm. it's like all you need to do is read and write yeah but read way more than you write. Yeah. Um, and I'm now 
just so oh, happy. Actually, no, I'm going to disagree with that one. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I, I think you need to write a lot, but don't don't um, share it. Just keep it to yourself. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to, to get um, all of your cliches out. So mm. I did a project in 2010 where I wrote a poem every day for a year. And by the time you've reached 300 poems, you've started to bore yourself yeah. and um, run out of the same tired crap. Yeah. And it just gets it out of you. It's, it's yeah. Actually, I did do that in that year while we were away. I did 100 poems in 100 days and that, that helped yeah, well, a lot. Yeah, yeah. see, it's, it's an important exercise, I think. But don't yeah. get fooled into thinking that they're genius. <laughs> they're just not. Yeah. It's trash. 99% of it is trash. Yeah. Yeah. Although out of that project, I did get my first major publication, which was Best Australian in yeah, 2012, right. and that was out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a fluke. <laughs> you always say that, and I it don't. Was. I just don't agree. I just don't agree. Like, Marrickville is on the level with everything else you've written. I'm sorry, but it's true. <laughs> well, I mean, I still like the poem. It's going in my collection, so it's yeah. survived that. Good. But in, in the process of putting together my own collection, I realise how much goes into, like, and how much doesn't see the light of day, mm. either because it doesn't fit thematically or stylistically, or it's just not quite up to standard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you've got to let go of a few that you've yep. <laughs> just been hanging on to for a decade. You're like, this works. It does work. Well, speaking you just can't of see it. Decade old poems. Um, so, how has your poetry and the process of writing poetry evolved for you over that time? I have stopped trying to copy what I see to be the thing that would get me published. I mean, my work is as a copywriter, so yep. I have the ability to kind of imitate yep. voice. And I think I did that for a while. And I think there are poems out there that are in print that I don't stand behind because they are a, they are a carbon copy of a voice that I thought would get in. Wow. And then did. Yeah. And yeah. now they're kind of under my name and I don't think they're mine. Wow. So, yeah, I've gotten more honest and, like, a lot of it, to be honest, has been, like, through knowing you mm. and seeing how honest you are in your work and just, like, letting go of the need to just be... Yeah. cool right I mean I'm like I just have such a huge chip on my shoulder about not being cool enough for the <laughs> the scene that I'm in mm. and um, I think the kind of poetry that I truly want to write is like very straightforward honest lyric mm. poems and it's just taken me a long time to get comfortable with that Although I would say, though, that um, emulating another poet's style is part of the process of becoming a poet or a writer. Yeah, for sure. Um, for a long yeah. time I was trying to be Helen Garner. <laughs> Who hasn't tried to be Helen Garner? I, I think that's <laughs> got to be a, a, a stage in every writer's career. Yeah, really. yeah. Um, it's how you learn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man, I've totally tried to do that too. She's impossible to imitate, though. Impossible. Yeah. But the reason for that is because she's so personal. She's so herself mm. that no one else could ever be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's really true. Um, but what about process? I mean, um, has it changed for you? Uh, yes. I think it has. I think I've become... There's a line that is out of this 
a poem called Your Name Here by John Ashbery and he talks about I became more charitable towards my thoughts and ideas thinking them at least as good as the next man's mm. and leaving aside the crazy gender stuff in that sure. couplet um, I think yeah same thing I've just become more charitable and more like it doesn't have to be impressive mm. um, but you're asking about process uh yeah, I think I've become way more attuned to the possibility of anything that happens around me being uh, worthy of a poem. At the same time, not being seduced by what looks like a perfect moment and then running home and being like, hmm. there was a moon and a bird and there was a crack of lightning and... Yeah love something <laughs> i've actually found that it's in describing the ordinary details around the perfect moment that help you to bring that forward yeah 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 that's 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 good advice guys that's really good advice. <laughs> it's all about detail the, yeah. the details that people look over but that's what good writers do well it's uh i'm trying not to go down this road but a lot of this is like rules about comedy as well like it's specificity and it's um being like not not judging your ideas before they've had a chance to breathe yeah i think at the start i was trying to write a perfect poem from start to finish i hated the idea of seeing the bullshit and that that process of doing 100 poems in 100 days got me comfortable with that because i was like oh today's poem kind of sucked but there was this one bit in it that was kind of worth saving Mm. um yeah i do think like as much as this is going to sound i don't know however it sounds but yeah doing doing improv has really changed the way that i write yeah right How, how so I write heaps more. Yeah. Heaps like it's more. just loosened you up. Completely. Yep, yep, completely. Yep. Yeah. Like it's generative. It's really generative. And I'm around people who are really generative. And mm. um, I was listening to an interview the other day with a poet who's also a musician. And they were talking about the shame that you get around pursuing another art form. Yeah, right. And I really, really, really feel that mm. not so much this year, but definitely the last kind of year and a half. Right. And just feeling like, oh, my God, you, you cannot be going off on a tangent already. You haven't even got a book out. Like, seriously, oh. you've got to focus. You're very hard on yourself, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my brain. Um, but, yeah. yeah, so and then I've just kind of realized, like, no, it feeds mm. it. it mm, of course, it it's all coming from it. the same place. It's yeah, just yeah. creativity and it's just different. I mean, so many great artists had other pursuits. Mm. Maybe they were just hobbies, but it's just another manifestation of the same thing. Yeah. 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 Well, all I know is I've written more in the last couple of years than I have probably in the in the previous eight yeah right so yeah what was it that inspired you to go down the improv uh, path i was very depressed in london and i was desperate and i was like that sounds terrifying but how much worse could things be right wow (laughs) and then i went there and i just had the most fun i had i had had in my whole adult life 
Mm. And I was like, oh, this is... And there's also a magic about it because mm. it was this process of creation that it was entirely built on trust and immediacy. And um, It's so yeah. different to poetry. I really admire you for... I mean, you're braver than I am because uh, it's, it's speaking, so using your voice and thinking on your feet and it's immediate yeah whereas poetry is you hiding in a dark room when no one can see you or hear you and you're you know scratching out lines forever trying to get it right before mm. anyone ever um yeah it would make me very very anxious to, to well, they're both forms of visibility yeah. and i think that's been and we we're talking as we we're coming up about the tendency for women to not really want to take up too much space and that's yep. been so true for me mm. I mean the process of starting this podcast has was I could only do it when I was on the other side of the world because I yeah. was like oh no one will see me here <laughs> if I do it you know <laughs> I just don't want to be noticed yeah. and so yeah I'm now I've just gradually over the last couple of years started to take up gradually step by step more and more public space yeah. and um yeah, feeling my ideas at least as good as the next man's. Definitely. <laughs> um, I again, I really relate to that feeling of of um, feeling bad about taking up space and being seen and heard. But mm. also at the same time, there's been this part of me that desperately wanted to be seen and heard and to take up space. And yeah. As a confused teenager, I would dye my hair crazy colors, like draw attention to myself, but then get anxious. And feel guilty whenever I got attention. Yeah, that kind right, of thing. right. Yeah, it's leveled out a, a bit. But the more that I put myself forward, in terms of like being a poet and and the ability to be able to call myself a poet has only come quite recently. Yeah, uh, it's helped me to be in the world generally. Calling yourself a poet. Yeah, just mm. um, it's it's given me experience in um. I guess being public in the public space mm. and putting things out there, which has helped me kind of privately. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's it's the act of standing up there and reading something that you wrote. Yeah, just existing. Yeah. And then you yeah. can you can go home and be like I don't I don't want to do things this way, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but that yeah. your existence also matters a lot to other people. Um, I, I went to a book launch on Thursday and I was tossing up whether to go. I thought, ah, you know, who really, who really would notice or care if I went, you know, mm. it's not about me and who am I anyway. But I went and the author himself, he said, thanks for coming. I was mm. worried no one would turn up. Aww. And I said, you're an amazing writer. I'm really happy to be here. Aww. And it was a really special night because I realized people had left their houses and they're all standing together. It's basically a vote. Yeah. You're, yeah, it's a community and it means something to be there, to be present. And it means a lot to everyone else, not just you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really true. So um, just a slight change of topic. Yep. Um, talk to me about your dark past as a copywriter. Oh, man. Okay, so this came up a bit in interview that I just recorded with Pam Brown. Yeah. So I'll be retreading a bit of ground there. But I started doing copywriting 
because it was a freelance job and I was very seduced by the idea of being a freelance writer. Separate to poetry, I really wanted to be somebody who wrote for magazines. Yeah. Like, I don't know, Gourmet Traveller or Good Weekend or uh, I don't know, like just the idea of seeing an article that I'd written in print seemed Mm. like unbelievably sexy to me. And so I thought that doing that kind of like writing blog posts for a company would be a way to kind of get runs on the board around that. Mm. As it turned out, they're completely different skills. The time that I spent getting paid to do that work uh, kind of drained the energy from me to do the the article writing. And also I didn't spend the time pitching and Mm. reading and learning Mm. um, that I would have needed to to kind of make progress in that area so that's all kind of stalled and like in a box because it's yeah it just hasn't really gone anywhere and during the time that I've been not pursuing it magazines have started to systematically die (laughs) so so even when I revisit that particular dream Mm. it's going to need to have different parameters around it which is fine like I'm less way less worried about it now because I'm creatively fulfilled elsewhere yeah but yeah, the advantage of being freelance was that I could set my own hours and that became very seductive. Um, but then for various reasons, I ended up needing to get a proper office job mm. and then spent another five years with, you five know. Five years? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like... I've had like traditional jobs for like a decade. Yeah. I've really only been like the weirdo freelance person I am now for like two or three years. Right. But um, yeah, all that time in the office I think was was really useful mm. if only to prove to myself that I am so ill-suited to it. Mm. I hate it and mm. I will never be comfortable there. Mm. Um, and there's no point trying to make myself feel like I will be so... Yeah. So I came out of that to go back to freelancing and did, yeah, just writing in the voice of others. And and often those clients were people whose voices and messages I didn't agree with. And, you know, didn't, I, I still do work for people whose enterprises are not things that I personally support. Mm. Not like, I don't work for BHP or anything. Um, but uh, if I only did work for people whose work I thought was ethically right, mm. we wouldn't be able to pay the mortgage. I mean, look, lady, it's, it's late <laughs> capitalism and nothing is ethical, okay? Like, I stopped losing sleep over that one. I know, but it would be so nice to not be doing damage. Sure. But, yeah. Um. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I just got sick of making money for other people. Uh, that was yeah, the God, big yeah. one. Yeah, totally. Um, the rat race of it. I think the office kitchen for me was the, the site of the most despair. I could not agree more. <sighs> What's that you're having for lunch, Alice? And if, you, if you've got like a salad, they're like, ooh, that's healthy. So healthy. Or if you've got like a burger, they're like, ooh, someone's splurging. 
And then, like, on, on Monday, it's like, what did you do on the weekend? Yeah. On Wednesday, it's hump day. And Thursday and Friday, it's like, what are you doing on the weekend? Yeah, yeah. So, so <laughs> I had this boss, uh, supervisor, mm. and he would say the same thing every Monday and same thing every Friday. Monday, it was, how was the weekend, peeps? And on Friday, it was, what's up with the weekend, peeps? And I just wanted to strangle him. <laughs> He's like the nicest person. But it's the repetition. And it's the inescapability because yeah. you cannot leave these people. No. They're in your life for all your waking hours. More than your loved ones. Yeah, way more. Mm. More than your friends, more than your family. And, and you become unhealthily fixated on your hatred of them. <laughs> Totally. And you try you spend so many hours trying to justify why you're so filled with this rage. You're like, no, but you don't get it. She's crazy. She's like, you don't understand the way she chews. And then yeah. and then your partner's just like, Can we talk about anything else? I, I had a colleague <laughs> who would make a tea without squeezing out the tea bag. Oh, and then just plop it. Drip it over to the garbage bag. God. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So then, of course, you're going to go home and write just the best poem you've ever conceived because you're you're not exhausted at all. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah I um I was extremely depressed in that environment as well, and and became an insomniac basically because I didn't want to wake up to go to work, I, so I just didn't go to sleep. I became kind of hypermanic and would stay up all night writing insane poetry. Oh my god, really? Yeah, yeah. It's about 2012. Far out. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't sleep well either, but I never sleep well. But yeah, no. that was the beginning of my serious sleep issues. Yeah, um, I want to ask you a question about your work ethic because um, you you produced uh, a hell of a lot of podcasts and you're always out there interviewing, book reviewing, writing poems, submitting poems. I mean, how do you stay on top of all of that? Uh, I'm the world's worst boss. <laughs> I have no sympathy and no time for your tiredness or excuses. Wow. Slave <laughs> no, driver. I'm just, yeah, I'm a slave driver. I, yeah, I, I have no gentleness with myself. And if something's on a list, mm. it's going to get done. Wow. Um, I, yeah, it's funny, like, in, especially in the last couple of months, anytime I see someone in the poetry community or otherwise mm. they're kind of like you're doing a lot mm. how do you do it you, all you are doing a lot and it i think because it's been cumulative over time it doesn't feel like a lot to me mm. but i will admit that over the last couple of months in particular i have gotten to a point where i've started to think well i don't know not whether that it's sustainable, but just like I need to find joy in amongst all the the busyness, yeah. because I will tend to get addicted to the satisfaction of completing tasks. Yeah, right. And then I forget that actually the doing of the tasks is where the excitement and, and goodness should be. Mm. Um, and it can't just be a constant succession of uh, crossing things off a list mm. and then feeling a brief moment of satisfaction before I add something else to the next list you know yeah. but yeah it's not healthy and I don't I don't want to god it's weird because like I it 
it freaks me out that people would look at my output and think that it was in any way like something to admire to I don't emulate. Know. yeah like because <laughs> as far as I can see it I'm just shambling through mm. but um yeah god be more gentle with yourself than I am with myself like mm. if anyone who's looking at me like don't don't (laughs) it's important to take a moment to to feel good about what you've achieved yeah and i don't do that yeah or to take a moment to just completely forget about everything you're supposed to be doing and Mm. do something ridiculous yeah yeah i don't know that i have many moments of that that aren't like followed by (laughs) periods of extreme guilt but I mean, I mean, look at me. Like I, I'm, I'm pretty lazy and I party a lot, but I still get a lot of stuff produced. I don't know how actually. <laughs> I could be inspiration. <laughs> Inspo. Actually, also don't emulate me either. It's, it's also not healthy. So. Yeah. Look. <laughs> I don't know, and I, and I've been hearing, especially in the last sort of week or so, there seems to have been this message coming through from all corners just about how important it is to be a stable person as an artist. Who's saying that? Well, uh, a whole bunch of people. Really? Um, And I keep noticing that message everywhere too. I think it's because it's something that I want to hear. Mm. Um, I do not believe in the myth of the tortured genius. I think that's really sick and like comes from a deeply misogynistic place. Mm -hmm. It's about being... um, macho yeah and stronger than everyone around you and a jerk yeah and awful and being supported by women who are never named or acknowledged in any way Mm. um so i don't buy into that at all um but i think maybe on an unconscious level i do i think it's a bit sexy to be a bit too busy and a little bit overwrought right i think it's hard not to be a bit seduced by your own drama. See, I'm sometimes. seduced by definitely the, the drunk poet uh, kind of a mythos. Mm. Uh, you know, the Dylan Thomas sort of a drink in one hand, a cigarette in the other. Yeah. <laughs> Too seduced by, by that. Yeah, and yeah. the reality is that no, no work gets done that way. A little um, bit. Well, okay. <laughs> you can start a poem like that. Sure, yeah. But you can't. You can't edit it. You can't submit it. I, I just have in my head that scene from The Simpsons in the, the gay steel mill where he says, we work hard, we play hard. And then the disco lights come down. That's basically my life. Like, I sort of go hard in both directions. I'm quite tired. <laughs> this is, yes, we are tired. I'm, we are I'm, both I'm tired. Happy, mostly, mostly quite happy. Though. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not miserable or anything I'm just um, yeah I'm probably headed for a moment of reassessment right maybe yeah it's been a huge 12 months yeah yeah I mean um, I just I mean I wanted to thank you for this podcast because it has well it's directly um, changed my life Uh, it's made me feel connected with the poetry community in a way I didn't before. It's sort of demystified some poets that I didn't even feel like I could even read, like I could even approach to just read, because I just thought it, 
I wouldn't understand it or it's not my thing or whatever. Mm. Um, I've learned so much. It's just lovely. I mean, I'm just so grateful we put so much work in and it's, it's something that I think a lot of people feel. So thanks a lot. No, oh, that's great. <laughs> that's really great. That means a hell of a lot. Have you sort of achieved what you wanted to achieve when you first started? Hell yeah. Yeah. God, yeah. I mean, there's still poets I want to talk to. Yeah. Um, and that's really all it is now. It's just a question of how do I get in touch with and get up the guts to approach certain well, people. Well, that's one of my questions. How do you? Well, it's uh, it depends. Mm. It depends on the poet. Usually I'll try to make a direct approach, but if I can't find their email or if I feel like it's going to be better to go through their publisher, a couple right. of times I've done that. Uh, Twitter's great. People mm. tend to be pretty accessible on there. Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. And it's just become easier as time has gone on because when you can point to an interview with mm. a Toby Fitch, mm-hmm. then you can go to um, a Pam Brown and say, yeah. I'm legit, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And I'm so, so, so appreciative to every single poet who's been on this program. But but um, in particular, those ones who talked to me when I didn't have much of a resume. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, and, and you were one of those. Well, I think, I mean, I was just flattered that anyone wanted to talk to me about poetry <laughs> at all, basically. Because yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things that my immediate friends and family are, you know, not that interested in. So, yeah. I'm always happy when anyone at all. <laughs> yeah, it's a lonely road and I think that's mm. that's the satisfying thing is feeling like people might be listening and feeling less like they're the weirdo in their town yeah. or community. Yeah, but um mm. yeah, I think it it really is lovely particularly for people that are kind of emerging poets or whatever and and your podcast makes people feel special and Gives them more confidence. And I hope so. I mean, that would be the ultimate. Is, I think would it be is. If, if people who were just starting were listening and feeling like it was something that was open to them. Yeah, totally. I think it. I think it does. Um, again, slightly off topic. Great. But as a reader of poetry, because mm. um, you're an avid reader, I am um, now. Yes. <laughs> <I> <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, what would you like to see more of, and what would you like to see less of? Ah, in the poetry that's published. Yeah. Oh, I just want to see more honesty. I really, really want to see people just being more brutally honest about what's happening for them. Yeah. And I'd like to see less um, fancy experiments that yep. go on for too long. Yeah. Um, and I think, or, yeah, just... Projects that really aren't that compelling that go on for 50, 100 lines. Mm. Um, I'd like to see poets that have taken up huge tracts of space take up less space or perhaps step back altogether for a while. Mm-hmm. I think that would be really interesting. Mm. And I'd like to see um, less... Um, that's a good way to put this. Like less... self-consciousness in editorial decision making like I think the really compelling journals are the ones that reflect um the heart of the editor yep and not the spreadsheet brain yep 
um, I just get really exhausted when I kind of look at a collection and think, oh, this is this has been an exercise in publishing people that are safe. Yep. And that'll, that'll provide cred. Mm. I think there's probably poetry out there that just gets overlooked because editors don't quite know who this person is or where to fit them. Mm. But um, all that said, I've never edited a journal. Um, I've helped out, but I've never really been... I've never had to make those calls. I can't imagine it's easy. Yeah, I think it's probably one of the hardest jobs in Australian poetry yeah. or poetry anywhere. Yeah. It's totally thankless and yeah. all anyone's got is criticism. <laughs> so, yeah, I yeah, imagine. I think all, all that I've said is coming from a place of not having sat in that chair. So feel free to ignore all of that. <laughs> <laughs> Just responding to one of the things you said, sometimes I feel like if there's a... A poem, an experimental type of poem with a certain kind of um, conceit or something at work within it. It's really lovely if I'm given a clue about what that is. Yeah. Uh, And then that helps me to understand and appreciate the poem. But if it's just presented to me like a cryptic crossword, and I'm I'm very bad at those. (laughs) Yeah, and this is a tough thing to talk about, like especially Mm. for me, because, I mean, there are poems in my book that are going to look... And feel to readers exactly like that. Yeah. Um, I hope that I've given enough clues, but I may not have. Sure. And there are poems that I, that are those kind of huge experiments that I love, you know, mm. just for the fact of them. But um, I mean, I guess it's the same as any other kind of poetry. There's just like or any some, kind of art. Yeah. Like sometimes you can see a painting and have no idea, but then you're given a piece of information about yeah. it and makes the whole thing make sense. Yeah. Or it just moves you just on the face of it somehow. Mm. Um, I think my yeah. particular uh, beef is poetry that um, I, I don't mind if I don't get it per se, but for me it has to kind of sound beautiful. Like I like it to, to be pretty and I know that's just me, mm. but I can totally accept a poem that's got a, a kind of a queer beauty to it and I have no idea what it's about, but mm. I, I, I dig it. Yeah, I think we're on the same page with that, except that I would say not necessarily beauty, but something real. Mm. I have to feel like there's something on the line for the poet. Sure. Yep, yep, I'd agree with that. I need to see a soft underbelly. Like, otherwise, we're just standing in a room talking. Like, it doesn't matter to you and it doesn't matter to me, and I just don't care. Yeah, yeah, there's that. that, um, (laughs) I don't care if you don't care. High intellectual guardedness. Yeah. 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 And also, I can't do that. Sure. I've tried. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) That's just so not who I am. Yeah. Um, I think as an editor, sometimes if you're confronted with something that's really weird, um, it would be you'd, you'd be going out there to publish it, uh, but often that's that's what good work is. I mean, it could either be good or it could even be terrible. It's mm. one of those things. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. But I mean, I'm at a place where I, um, because of I've got enough kind of achievements under my belt now to feel like I'm legit. If I write a poem that I'm happy with, I'm I'm almost happy enough with that, um, and. If no one wants to publish it, I don't really care. Mm. <laughs> it's sort of a nice place to be. Yeah, for sure. I've got sort of um, a bit of a cheeky question for you. Sweet. <laughs> I was at a writer's festival once and I heard Linda Javen 
um, she said that she writes to impress whoever she wants to sleep with at that point in time. Totally. Do you write with uh, particular readers in mind? Yep. You do. <laughs> Pretty much every poem is a love poem to someone. Yep. Uh, yeah. Or, or a, yeah, I want to impress you type poem. Um, again, because that's what's on the line for me is yeah. like... Yeah, I want I want the editor to like it, and I want it to get published. I want it to get published because I want that person to read it, and I want them to feel this thing. Right. Um, and it doesn't always pan out. Like I, I wrote this poem for a friend of mine uh, that got into Cordite's yeah. uh, um, trans queer. Mm-hmm. And that was a good poem. Thank you. <laughs> it's called Watching Matthew Bourne Swan Lake at Yours. And I, it's about a really dear friend of mine going to his house and, and watching Matthew Bourne Swan Lake, which is the 1990s production of Swan Lake. Also great. With all boys. Mm. It's the coolest thing in the world. And, and we watched it and then we had this really deep and intense conversation. And so... Yeah, I went home and wrote a poem. And um, I think I can say this pretty much with impunity because I don't think he's listening to it. And also the only private thing said online is said at the end of a long podcast. But, yeah, I sent it to him in a moment of, like, tipsy, I don't know. And he was like, oh, it's really nice. Like, no one's ever written a poem for me before. Yeah. And just didn't right. feel it. The way that he didn't respond to it the way that I wanted him to, you know. I think every poet's had that experience. Yeah, and, like, of course, because I'm this, like, crazy, intense woman who's going to go home and write a poem about watching Swan Lake. Mm. He's an engineering-type guy. Like, that's a really terrible classification. But he's, like, you know, he's Mm. not that. And so I can't expect him to have that response. But, but yeah, that was... That was... um, a love poem that did get published mm. and did reach the intended audience because mm. I gave it a little push along, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, then you know didn't didn't quite have whatever effect I had in mind. Um, well, I mean that's yeah. life, hey. Yeah, I don't know what I wanted him to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's this weird thing where sometimes I write love poems for people. And maybe they, yeah, they don't respond to it in the way that I thought they would, or mm. they, I thought they should. Mm. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, well, it's still a good poem. I think someone will like it. Yeah. <laughs> so they're all in my collection. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's been nice. Like, there's another one in the collection that's called Dairy Free Poem, and that's about oh, also great poem. making dairy-free muffins for someone as an excuse to go to their place and see them. Yeah. And I don't know whether this person will ever read the book or or how he'll respond if he reads that poem. He probably won't even recognise himself in it. Mm. But, yeah, I love it on its own merit now, so it doesn't matter. Well, I mean, that's... One of the things I love about poetry, you can write a poem that's very specific, very personal, mm. but either because the person just won't ever encounter it mm. or because poetry has this sort of mystique that 
you can hide behind yeah. to an extent. Yeah. You can really get away with, with a lot. Yeah. Um, it's the only yeah. place where I feel like I can express the depth of feeling that I have for people yeah. and not get in huge amounts of trouble. Sure. You know, like, I just love so many people so deeply and, like, it's it's not appropriate for, like, civilised society. People would get hurt and... Yeah. Um, and all kinds of havoc would be wrought, I think, if I were to act on all these things. But yeah. but I can write poems, you know. Absolutely. That's yeah. what I love about the poem, I think, above everything, that it's the place for um, any kind of emotional expression that's too much or too inappropriate yeah. or too weird or yeah. too dark or too joyous. Um, yeah. Yeah, the darkness is important too. Like there's another one about being like awake the the nights that I used to be awake when I would I had a particular bout of insomnia around um feeling in danger because uh my one of my family members was having a really intense mental health episode and we didn't necessarily feel particularly safe Mm. and uh yeah, so being able to make a poem mm. around that, it's like all that fear can go and live in, on this page, you know. Yep. Uh, yeah, they're just, they're little, they're little safe houses. They are, yeah, yeah. They're, they're buzzing with, with that particular energy in a bee-like way, I yeah. would say. <laughs> uh, it helps, it really does. Uh, yeah. And people, sometimes you write really sad poetry and, and people are like, dude, are you all right? I'm like, yeah, I am now. Like, Yeah, I, that's I all in there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and in yeah, in, in putting my collection together, I just wanted to go hard into the hysteria and the uh, <laughs> the disordered parts of my psyche yeah. as a way of um, confronting them and expressing them and letting them pass through me. It's yeah. gonna be so good. Uh, just as a kind of a final um, thought, like, do you have an idea of what you would like to produce in your lifetime? Like, do you have a clear idea of? I'm really happy to say that I don't. Yeah. The thing that was making me miserable for so long was having too clear an idea. Yeah. I wanted not just a book but a shelf of books that were written by me and I wanted them all to have stickers on them and I wanted mm. them all to be the, you know, I just wanted to be this not just a shining light but like the shining light. Yeah, wow. And... I can only be as honest about that now because I don't feel in any way like that anymore. I'm happy mm. that I'm going to have even one book that shocks me to my core and if that's all that I ever produce, um, that's really fine. Like mm. genuinely, I feel like that's fine. I'll keep writing probably. Yeah. It'd be nice if there were more, but if there aren't, then that's okay. And I think like... <laughs> this is like a corny and circular note to end on, but really... I do feel like making this has healed me of that because yeah. I can I'm just connecting with people in a way and that's, that's like, worth so much. Yeah, it's more than like I mean, people talk to me about their books. Like sometimes I email people that, saying that I like their work, and they're like, "Oh, thank you for saying so," because it kind of felt like it sunk without a trace. Mm. And I can really imagine that if all you do is publish, it's a very one-way relationship. Mm. So. 
yeah, yeah. there's definitely a need in, in the community to have this conversational space um, yeah. so people don't feel like that yeah I hope so mm.